Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Grace Joe, a North Korean refugee, U.S. citizen, the former vice president of NK in USA, and an advocate for people in North Korea who long for freedom. Today's topic is escaping from North Korea. It's a harrowing story. Grace Joe, thank you for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thank you for having me. It's my great pleasure. In America, we are so unfamiliar with North Korea, and it's it's kind of shrouded in mystery to us. So let's go back to your childhood and growing up in North Korea. Who was leading the country at the time you were young, and what was it like? What are your earliest recollections about life in North Korea then? I was born in 1991, and I escaped my country in 1998. Um, at that time, the Kim Jong-il, the son of Kim Il-sung, uh, he just become the leader in uh, 1994. And I remember when we escaped in 1998, we had to vote for Kim Jong-il to become the supreme leader of the country. What do you remember about your day-to-day existence? Did you go to school? I know you were rather young, but were you in school? And if so, what was it like being in school in North Korea? Well, I was too young to go to public school at the time, but my sisters were. Since 1995 to 1997, uh, my family were also facing the uh, Great Famine at the time. So we moved it to the countryside. And uh, since I can remember, uh, we all lived in the uh, mountain. And our daily routine begins with um, like a uh, prepare our uh, shoes and clothes to cl- climb to the mountain to collect wild vegetables every day and bring it home and mix something with like a corn skin powder, um, boil it or steam it and trying to cook it, uh, make a food for us. But most of the time, we don't have any uh, rice or grains to mix with. Um, and I also remember my sisters, they had to uh, go to like a deeper mountain, collect like bags of um, uh, wild vegetables, bring it home, steam it and bring it to the uh, street market, trying to exchange with the other food. So those like searching food was our daily routine. And I also remember the, I was a six and a half years old and we also went to the millwork trying to collect the leftover um, powders uh, from the millwork and trying to collect it and bring it home and make a porridge and eat it but of course so many people already done that so not many good uh, like eatable uh, powders left but we also trying to make the rough uh, corn skin into softer powder and trying to collect it but it was even harder for adults to eat you mentioned moving to the country and the, this great famine that you referenced. And again, I know you were very young, but 
How widespread was this in the country and, and what brought it on? Was it simply a matter of bad weather or were these policies of the government that brought famine on the people? I didn't know at the time. I only remember it was hungry, cold, and uh, frozen every day. Uh, but later I, I realized and um, I kind of studied that uh, along my memory, which is um, Great Famine began because the Kim Jong-il um, became the leader and he completely stopped the government ration. Um, and my mother still tell me that during the Kim Il-sung's time, he he gave the ration to people. So we did have some type of food, at least like a bag of potatoes per uh, year. Um, however, the Kim Jong-il's time, my father didn't get the ration and my mom didn't get the ration. So we had to be creative every day to searching for food. Um, so the government policy about the ration completely changed at the time. I think because the Kim Jong-il completely closed to the trade and uh, international connections at the time. So there's not many sources coming into North Korea. I think that's why government stopped giving out the food to the people. Uh, they only gave the food to the high elites and uh, government officials and military at the time. So the regular workers like my father and my mother, they did not have chance to get them. And after Many people, they didn't able to uh, get the ration. Uh, we started to escape our country, look for the food and try to do some private businesses. But because of the regulation and policies and travel ban and a lot of uh, legal uh, things kind of stopped them to do that in the beginning. So there are many people died by hunger, starvation and um, disease and also died um on the way to find food um, in the border between China and North Korea by the, uh, by the guards. This is a harrowing story, Grace, and it's so sad that people have to live like this. How widespread was this to your knowledge now in North Korea? Are there just a select few who are not dealing with this or was this just a few people that were dealing with the starvation and the hunger? Well, it's a very unfortunate. I totally agree with your words. Like a few years ago, I thought I can retire from the uh, public speaking and raising awareness and all that because it's been about 15 years since I came to America. And it sounds like it's a little um, old story. So I thought I can retire. But recently I learned and I heard from other defectors and their family members that North Korea people are still suffering like before, like my family did. And people, they are calling current time as great, great famine, which is uh, we escaped, my family escaped during the famine. In 2000, um, between 1998 to 2005, they called them um, a great famine. And after 2005 to now, it became great, great famine, which means it's getting worse, um, never getting better. And many people, they are dying by hunger on the street. But of course, those officials will collect those bodies right away. So you will not able to see it during the day. And those uh, business trade also, uh, it's getting difficult. And defectors are not almost impossible to cross the border right now because it's a super expensive and high security between both the borders. Um, and it's very dangerous. Famine, dying, fear, hunger, all these complicated feelings are still continuing and it's getting worse. 
that's the main reason I came back to human rights activist work again. Is there any opportunity for people within North Korea to access information from outside of the country or is it locked down pretty tight? So there are two uh, views we can look. Uh, first of all, of course, the government is uh, keep searching for those people who are um, trying to get the information from outside of North Korea. So they are considering it as, as a very serious case. So once people find out, they will get punished by the government. However, people's curiosity never stops. So. Uh, people will receive the foreign information through the CDs, DVDs, USBs, and radios, and tablets, and smartphones, and TV, televisions, and movies, and pop songs from South Korea. A lot of method we can uh, we we are sending to, and many people uh, they love to watch those foreign movies and TV shows and uh, TV series. Uh, for example, if South Korean drama showed in in South Korea two days ago, then two days later, North Korean people they can watch with the USBs. That's how fast um, they will get it. But um, of course. Right now, a lot of people who were born after 1990s, I heard at least once they watched the Korean drama. So I think that's a big change. And uh, those North Korean uh, people inside of North Korea, they are hungry for the information um, because they want to see what's the difference between their country and the other country. And the government is keep teaching them that South Korea is still poor and still uh, worse. Um, than North Korea, and North Korea is the, still the best country in the world. So uh, many people, after they watch those TVs and movies, they already know that that's a lie. So they try to not trust the government's words anymore, but they trust their uh, choice. So the punishments, there's the two categories. Now there are so many people already watched, so they cannot put everyone in the prison. So they only put prison um, those people who copied the DVDs or distributed the USBs and whoever the leader of that activity, then they will put them in the political prison camp or kill them on a public execution as an example for certain times. What happens inside of these prisons? I'm sure that the the situation must be dire and that there's probably torture going on. Do you know when people are in prison there, what happens to them? Yeah, thankfully, um, well, I shouldn't say thankfully, but I uh, stayed in the Chinese prison uh, for 13 months mm-hmm. in Tumen area, and that prison only contains the North Korean defectors, and the timeline is between three days to six months maximum we stay. So I witnessed so many different defectors coming to our prison cell, and of course, during daytime, we don't have any activities to do, so the only thing was sharing stories from our lives. So I met about three ladies from political prison camp, and she shared about those daily routines with us. And um, once you go into political prison camp, their routine is um, work from the early down to late evening. Uh, for, for example, sunrise to sunset, and that's the, their um, activity because they don't have light in the prison. I mean, the artificial light. The workload is so severe, um, and the food that 
prison gives them is so minimal. So after six months or eight months later, um, they will reduce the body weight from, for example, 65 kilogram to uh, 30, 30 kilogram right away, which means uh, only skin covers on the bone. Mm. So it's like a walking skull um, in, in the farms. So those uh, pr- political prison prisoners, they are working uh, in many different fields. And of course, the popular uh, field they prefer to work is the government operation uh, operated farms, because at least they can collect something uh, on the farm. And I remember she told me that either you see grasshopper or frogs right in front of you, that those are the food for you and nutritious food that you can collect. So you have to catch them right away and peel off the skin and then you just chew it right away. So I was asking, like, oh, you're eating the raw frog? Um, and is there any chance to cook it or something? And, of course, that sounds a so dumb question from me after I realized it was not the reality in there. Uh, she said, well, um, if you don't eat it right away, then someone will come and um, take it from you. So um, either it's alive or it's a raw it's still delicious in your mouth because you are super hungry. So that's how terrible the condition is. Was there, Grace Joe, any mercy shown by anyone inside the prison who was in a supervisory position? Did you find any, were there any kind people there? I also met one lady who was a leader in the group. And of course she was, um, uh, she had an authority to uh, hold the, the closet key, which is a very powerful position among the prisoners because she can eat and she has authority to uh, distribute food for other prisoners. She told me that um, she has to show the authority tones and activity along the groups. Otherwise, she will get punished by the officers. Basically, if you are hungry, of course, people will getting aggressive and um, people will trying to fight for it. As a leadership position, they have to control those people. So I don't think we can see the kindness along those people. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. We're talking with Grace Cho, a North Korean refugee and now U.S. citizen, on her harrowing story of escape from North Korea. We continue in just a moment. Shilling Show Unleashed. Borderhawk.news is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The Borderhawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. Borderhawk.news highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. Borderhawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. Borderhawk.news will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark Borderhawk.news. Add them on social media at Borderhawknews on Twitter. Shilling Show Unleashed. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Our guest is Grace Joe, and we continue talking about her escape from North Korea. You lost family members, and, and this has got to be very painful for you, but I, I think it's important to tell the story 
of your brothers, your father, your older sister, whom you're not quite sure what happened to. Give us a background of your own family and the losses that you suffered, if you would. I was born in kind of a middle-class family at the time. And uh, my uh, mother also told me that right before I was born, my family was uh, living with the full of uh, rice and oils and um, like a full of jar of oil and soy sauce and all that. Uh, but after I was born, about two years later, there are people trying to steal other people's food. And my family also uh, stolen uh all the uh, materials and food and even silver spoons in the house got stolen uh, for twice. And after that, uh, my family had a debt. They were not able to uh, uh, recover from the stolen uh, items. So she started to look for the food for her own. And my father, of course, he has to work for the government-operated factories and uh, positions. So he was not able to uh, find the food for his own because in North Korea, workers have to attend their assigned work. Otherwise, they will get punished. So my mom has to travel in the cities and look for food and try to, to do some business in the home. So I remember she was steaming the um, buns in the house and trying to bring it to the village and change with other food. And I also remember she was sewing the gloves or hats and blazers in the house with hand. And I was the one who was holding the torch in the, in the night because we don't have any lights. Um, so in the next morning when we wake up, our nose were all dark and we all pointing each other and laughing each other. So that was my memory. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, those um, works, it didn't even solve um, the problem also because I had uh, five other siblings um, well, I was the fourth child, and under me, there was two other, um, two younger boys. So my mom and my daddy, they had a total of six children. But right after I was born, uh, it became five, because before I was born, my older brother, um, he died by accident. So five children, uh, two adults and one elderly in the house. A lot of people needed to eat, and our uh, daily food was not enough to uh, look for it. So I remember back in 1996, um, we were about 10 days, we were drinking cold water straight, and we didn't have any other food uh, for months. The other memory I have was in the early down, um, there was a big mouse, like a our clock didn't have enough battery, so the time uh, timer moves a little slow. So we bring it down and put the 45 angle. Uh, and then um, the mouse, when they crossing over that area, it just got like got caught there. So in the morning, we caught that mouse. My grandmother, she peeled the skin and uh, cooked in the fire, and we all sharing little pieces per person. So I tried that mouse meat, and it was delicious. It had a lot of oils. Um, it was really bad because it was keep eating the uh, government-operated uh, grains uh, in the village. 
Uh, the other memory I have was in the spring season, my mom found six newborn mice under the stove. And then she ran to the house and told my grandmother. And my grandmother was so excited. And they collected those six newborn mice um, into their hands. And they were talking about how they want to cook it. They were talking about fry it. Uh, or dry it, or steam it, or uh, boil it. They were talking about many different options, but they chose to boil it because um, it was a kind of early uh, summer and a lot of uh, flies around it. Um, and after they boil in the stone pot, um, they had to choose which kit um, they want to choose to drink that. And because uh, most of us were suffering from malnutrition and we were barely walking um, at the time. And uh, I remember my hair was straight and yellow and thin and uh, sticks out and uh, coming or washing hands doesn't listen. Um, and my belly was like really big, but my arms and legs were so skinny. So I was lucky one. So I got picked and I was given those mice soup and that was First time um, I had a mixed, uh, like a half mixed corn and potato uh, mixed rice with the soup. And because they consider it as medicine, you know, in the Korean culture, all the good things we have to give to the father first and elder first and then come to the youngest one. Mm. But at the time, uh, they gave me the right bowl of rice with the mist. So that was a really precious memory I have at the time. And I was looking at them and kind of figuring out like, oh, can I eat really these things without other siblings? And I was keep looking at them. And then my family, uh, my mom and my dad was keep convincing me to eat that soup. Um, so I did. After that, I think after about two or three weeks later, I slowly recovered from my nutrition. So um, I will say the little mice soup um, helped me to overcome the dying from malnutrition. Um, so those are the memories. And uh, my other daily routine was, like I mentioned earlier, we were going to the mountain um, and we were eating wild vegetables all day long. After we come back home at night, our tongues are green and our mouth were green because we are eating um, the grass um, all day long. You eventually did escape, obviously, and clearly, because we're having the conversation today. Would you tell us how this came to pass? First escape was a little different because at the time, uh, we didn't have to bribe the border security. Um, so my mom, she was holding me at her backpack, and she was holding my sister's hand, and three of us just swam across the Tumor River to China for the first time. Um, however, the uh, second time and third time and go on, it was getting harder because of the border security getting increased. Um, and many soldiers, they were asking higher money. Uh, last time when we when we got caught, of course, we got caught with the pastor, John Yoon. Um, he still lives in Seattle, Washington. And he was rescuing about 12 North Korean defectors from China. And uh, it was 2004. And he came to China with a Korean newspaper. It was mentioning that the George W. Bush signed the North Korean Human Rights Act, and that gives us an opportunity to come to America as legal refugees. So that gives us a hope. And my family decided to come to uh, America instead of go to South Korea. So we decided to stay in China and helping the uh, Pastor Yoon. And we joined 
the rescuing mission at the time. And first group we rescued, they are resettling in South Korea and they're very successful, successful right now. But the second group and third group, they were exposed to the um, uh, undercover police officers in China. And they all came with them uh, from Yanji, China to Qingdao and Inner Mongolia. So basically, at one day, we all got caught in three different places. And Pastor Yun also got caught at the time. And that's how we stayed in Chinese prison for 13 months until the Pastor Yun finished his final court. And of course, after we sent back North Korea, uh, we committed a, a serious crime according to North Korean law. So we thought we're going to die after we uh, crossed border to North Korea. But about a month later, the pastor Yoon uh, raised um, you know, like 10,000 U.S. dollars, and he bribed six different officials from North Korea uh, through the brokers. Those uh, officials allowed us to um, say whatever we can say and then just documented it and made a regular case and then uh, released us from the prison. And then we went back to our hometown and we escaped again uh, after four months of the prison uh, and labor uh, hardship in North Korea. At that time, we had to pay 8,000 Chinese women to soldier. We swam across again in Tumen, uh, in Tumen River in the city of Musan, and it was dark night, and uh, it was a very challenging moment in my memory. You eventually came to America, which is remarkable. Uh, what had you been told about America, and how did the reality differ? Since I was repatriated to North Korea, I had a chance to stay in the orphanage shelter for a few times. And then um, those classes held in orphanage shelter. Because I was defector, I was not allowed to listen in the classroom. Uh, however, I overheard the outside of the classroom. And then they were teaching about the um, outside of North Korea country, which is South Korea and America, um, they are telling that America is the greatest enemy of North Korea and um, South Korea is the um, enemy of North Korea because uh, they are listening to America. Growing up, my mom also told me the uh, story about the missionary because my sister, when she started to go to ch uh, church in China, uh, my mom didn't agree in the beginning and told us the story that in North Korea, she uh, she got education that back in the history, there was American big nose, tall and white um missionary in the North Korea and they lived in a big and fancy house and in front of that house fence and there was an apple tree and uh, during fall season there was an apple uh, dropped on the ground and there's a one hungry little North Korean boy walking crossing by and saw that apple uh, on the floor so he picked up and he bite that apple and then that missionary saw that boy and then tied him up on the apple tree and wrote a thief word on his forehead with acid and then uh, tortured him until he died and then he uh, still tied up on the apple tree after he died as well. So that's the story. So she, my mom told us that, oh, American missionaries is the worst person in the world and that's how we taught and dangerous. Uh, they will kill you and blah, blah. So um, there, she was uh, very aggressive at the time but however, right now she's a strong believer. Mm. <laughs> uh, she 
completely changed, but that's uh, what she told me in the beginning, and um, that's the lack of knowledge about the world um, at the time. So after we come to China, we slowly be able to hear and listen and see those movies and foreign movies about America and South Korea. But before then, only we talk through the government of North Korea is very negative information and negative stories. So um, after we came to China, we slowly learned. And after we came to, well, actually, after we met the pastor, John Yoon, and he was American citizen. So uh, through him, we heard a lot of good information. And also he was giving food for us and paying for our rent. and that. So we already know. People from America, they are rich and they are good and Christians, they are kind and they like to share the love and helping others. So it changed the perspective completely. But um, after we come to America, the realizing the freedom, it took a little time, but um, that's a completely a changing story after we experience in person. Grace Joe, you've been through a lot. What would you like people to take? What should they understand from the experience that you've conveyed to us today? Today, I wish American people, uh, we, we should appreciate for our life and our freedom and our liberty in America because North Korean people um, are not able to uh, enjoy those uh, freedom, uh, like I mentioned earlier. As American citizen, I think protecting the freedom for our country is so important because I feel the sense that uh, people in America are uh, also thinking about the socialism system um, and they are promoting that system uh, in in America. And I feel like that's wrong uh, because people from communist country and socialist country, their commonality is suffering and hunger and dying. So we don't want that happened to America. So that's why I'm traveling to high schools in America, trying to teach them the socialist system is the, um, and dictatorship is the worst government system in the world. So we have responsible to protect the freedom in America and also raise awareness and hear more stories about those experiences and firsthand stories from those experienced defectors from those countries so that we can have more clear mind and more awareness to make a right choice for our country and help other people in the right way. Grace Joe, if people would like you to speak before their group or organization, is there a place they can go to be in contact? Yes, um, there are organizations called youngvoice.org. That's the program I'm in, involving. And we uh, are sharing our experiences and stories along the USA. And people are from Cuba, Venezuela, and other countries as well. And we all have similar experiences under the government regime. So they also have a wonderful stories. So if you are interested, High school teachers, they can book us uh, through the distantproject.org, and it's totally free for them. And then the organization will pay for our speakers' uh, tickets and travel expenses. So uh, that could be the one of the organizations you can reach out to. I certainly hope that they will. Your story is so important. Grace Joe. thank you for joining us today on the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thank you so much for having me. That concludes another edition of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. 
Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time. Until next time.